everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. The podcast allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Henri Davis. Henri is a cybersecurity professional with a decade of experience specializing in security operation and incident response. He holds a bachelor's degree in computer information systems from Louisiana Tech University and a master's degree in technology management from the University of Dallas. He is a cybersecurity career coach and a LinkedIn learning instructor. However, you all may know him as HD from the YouTube channel Textual Chatter and as the host of the Textual Talk podcast. Henri has dedicated his time to highlight Black people in tech and also help them pivot into new technology careers as well. So on this episode, we discuss cybersecurity, how to find a job in tech, why sometimes you have to take a placeholder role until you get to the role that you want, and Henri has the experience of being laid off, and so we also talk about how to navigate a layoff and the schedule that he used to stay motivated and find a job. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, you know what to do. Rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this very episode today. Also want to give you a heads up that his interview, as well as all the interviews from this season, are available on the Black Tech Unplugged YouTube channel. So you can see the extended interview, unedited, uncut, where we talk about a few extra things. So make sure to go to youtube.com slash Black Tech Unplugged to see this episode and other episodes unedited. And don't forget everything we talk about on the podcast, as well as the link to the YouTube are in the show notes. So check those out if you miss anything that I just said. Now, let's hop into the conversation, so let's get it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I've got a new guest. So, Henry, I want you to do an introduction of yourself. I call this the check-in. So give your name, location, your current role, and how many years you've been in tech. What's going on, everybody? My name is Henry Davis. I've been in tech about a decade the last six years, I've been in cybersecurity, and I currently stay in Dallas, Texas. I'm from Louisiana, you know, from the boot, and we'll shoot. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So, yes, let's start with cybersecurity, because that is a hot topic in tech, as you probably already know. And we always scream and holler about how everyone should be getting into cybersecurity. But I want your expert opinion. How, honestly, should people start looking at cybersecurity jobs and getting into that part of the industry? That's a loaded question in a sense, because cybersecurity is big. There are so many different roles in cybersecurity. So people reach out to me sometimes and say, hey, I want to get in tech or I want to get in cybersecurity. I'll say, okay, do you know exactly what you want to do in cybersecurity? So that is the first thing, figuring out exactly what you want to do. And the hard part for newbies is like, well, I don't know what the roles are called. So a simple way would be looking at something as simple as what? different type of roles are there in cybersecurity. Take those roles and see if you can find on YouTube a day in the life of blah. Like for example, I'm in threat detection and incident response. So if you type in day in the life of incident response or day in the life of threat detection, you figure out what you want to like, what you want to do and see if you like it. And then from there, that's when I teach people that we'll do two things. We'll reach out to people that currently do those roles and try to pick their brain and see 
what you need to learn. And then two, you can look at job descriptions. Job descriptions are a cheat code. They're the study guide to tell you what you need to know for the role that you want to apply to. The hard part with cybersecurity, some of the roles that are more popular are hard to break into because of that skills gap. There are some people that are a little bit above entry level that have issues getting in. And then there are some people that are mid the entry that they're competing against. And the more popular roles that have come about recently might have been like security analysts, SOC analysts, incident response. Of course, everyone always talks about being a penetration tester or ethical hacker. Those titles are very sexy now. So you may see anywhere from 300 to 500 applicants that these people apply to them. Wow. So what I try to advise my clients to do is, hey, based on your skill set, let's try to get you on the path of least resistance and the role that may be easier to go into. I typically try to tell people to look into governance, risk and compliance. That is a subset kind of intersects with cybersecurity, but it has so many different roles that people can do that. Some can be technical, but a lot are non-technical. And a lot of people's transferable skills that they use in their current roles will match up with being in a GRC position. And so that's what I typically tell them to look at, see if they'd be interested in. And I say, okay, this doesn't have to be your last role, but my goal is to try to get you through the door. And then once you interact with some different teams, that's how you figure out what you want to do. So that's typically how I go about showing my clients exactly how to get into cybersecurity. And on my YouTube channel, Textual Chatter, I actually have a free webinar on how to get into cybersecurity with no experience. So I have that in a much more detailed light. And I believe I have the slides for download in the description. So you can check that out as well in case you missed anything I said. So perfect. Everyone can stop listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I know that's a loaded question. And the reason that I asked you that loaded question is because I knew you could simplify for people who are so excited about cybersecurity, think they can jump in, help them to realize cybersecurity is this big umbrella. And there's so much underneath it and so many opportunities. While we're still encouraging you to pursue that, it still needs to be said like, hey, you can't just say, I want to go into cybersecurity and it's going to pop up a job. There's some work that needs to be done. And so you mentioned that there's many roles under cybersecurity. And what I want to do is explore that, but using your previous experience. And we can even start with your current role and talk through the different roles that you've had from a cybersecurity perspective and the skills that you needed to actually fulfill those roles. So what is your current role and what exactly are your responsibilities? So currently right now, I am a threat detection and incident responder. And to sum that role up, it means I work in security operations and I also do incident response. Now, to work in the SOC, you need to have a foundational knowledge of cybersecurity You get multiple alerts from different log sources and you have to be able to triage, which means investigate, investigate and analyze these things most of the time to a very high level so that you can make sure we avoid breaches. So to do a role like mine, you would need to understand Windows operating system. You would need to understand maybe Mac OS, Linux, understand the basics of networking understand things like encryption, hashing, understanding things about malware, how it acts, what happens when somebody clicks on something malicious, understand phishing, understanding the cloud. Now, pretty soon now you got AI coming out here. So there always are different attacks and threat vectors that are happening constantly daily. And so you have to stay updated with the latest attacks. Like even when I logged on today, 
they were telling us about, hey, this zero day just came out. And for those who don't know, a zero day is an attack that starts instantly. That's just launched by attackers that there's not a fix for yet. And so you have to be proactive and your response to this to make sure that your organization isn't affected by whatever they use in this thing for a CVE. Now, that's one part of it. Then for the incident response side is responding. Okay, if we have a person whose account's been hacked, what do we do to make sure the attacker is gone? How do we make sure no one else is affected? How do we reset? Simple thing, let's say a person clicked on a phishing alert and they put in their information. Now someone has their password. They might have been compromised because they did that. However, you have defense in depth. So even though they're trying to log on to that person's email, they may not get past the multi-factor authentication prompt. If they do, then we say, okay, now this person is in the environment. How do we make sure that they're not accessing things they need to access? How do we make sure they don't take anything, which is considered data exfiltration? How do they make sure we don't take our proprietary data out of our environment? And so those are things you can focus on, on incident response. In layman's terms, working on the blue team, which is what SOC analysts and incident response will fall under, is similar to police, firemen, detectives, paramedics. If you think about them, police get a call from 911 saying, hey, we have a mercy right here. So you think about your first responders. IR is that, that the first responders, someone said, hey, we got this, this is happening right now. We believe that this machine right here has been compromised. So now you're going to follow your protocol and check all you need to check and see what's going on. Is it really compromised or not? Do we need to isolate it from the network? And so they're doing it real time. The policemen say, okay, what's the, how we assess this? How do we pull up to this incident? How do we need to prepare ourselves so we don't get affected by anything? Once the incident has happened, you bring in a detective. So the detectives are the people that are actively getting all the information. They're doing a deep dive. And so that's a part you do as well. And then you also have the fireman and paramedic part. <laughs> they're just chilling. They come and trying to put the fire out. The paramedics don't recognize what this is. And their job is just to, hey, we just need to have this ad hoc until we make it to the hospital. So work with clients in the past who came from policemen's and fireman backgrounds. And I always tell them you guys would be great in this role because it's similar to what you've already been doing just on a network level. Just from you describing your current role, let's be clear, that's not an entry-level role. This is something that you've had to have some experience in the space in order to be successful. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I also like to tell people that a lot of times a SOC role is not necessarily entry-level unless the job says, zero to two years of experience and we're willing to train you because a lot of times companies do not have the time to sit down and pretty much train you from scratch because you're taken away from someone else that's on a team and they can't do their job. So a lot of times they will look for someone that already has some experience. Typically, the people who make the best SOC analysts, people like the a help desk system administrator background, great transition over. And most of the time, these are the best employees because they already have the foundations of knowing the same things that you need to know on the SOC. From an IT standpoint, they just got to work on the security part. But their processes are so focused that they'll be fine once they get up to speed. They're used to handling high stressful environments. They're used to multitasking. They're good. And they can always come in like me when I came into working in a SOC from a help desk background. I was always able to come in and establish and fix different processes that didn't make sense to me. And let's actually speak on how you got into SOC. So you said you were working in the help desk and then you were given the opportunity to shift your focus a little bit, it sounds like. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> let's go back to 2013, Okay. the summer before I graduated undergrad. So I went to Louisiana Tech University and the spring quarter, we were on a quarter system. In the spring quarter, I took a forensics class that I really liked and I said, hmm, I want to do this. 
ended up meeting somebody this summer who was working a job on the Air Force Base. And he said, hey, you should get your Security Plus. I got my Security Plus in the summer of 2013. And that's what made me want to say, okay, I want to be in cybersecurity and I want to get a SOC analyst job. I interviewed for some SOC roles while I was at the help desk and then get them. And I knew that it wasn't because I wasn't qualified because out of the people that helped us, I was one of the few people that even had a degree, let alone SIC plus certification. It was some other things that played that kept me from doing that. And that's when I realized I needed to skedaddle. Mm. Ended up leaving the help desk, moving to Dallas in June of 2016. And it wasn't directly to a SOC role. I actually took a role working at a NOC, which is kind of similar, but don't do as much work as you would do in the SOC. So NOC stands for Network Operations Center. I took that role with the mindset of saying, hey, within however many months, I'm going to have a security role. So I got that role in June of 2016. By the beginning of the next year, I had received an offer to start my SOC analyst career at what we used to call McAfee. And this is a good point to tell people, if you have a certain job you're trying to pivot to and it's not working, try to do everything you can to land that job. A lost art that I don't think a lot of applicants do now is joining talent communities Mm. for different companies. So at the time, McAfee belonged to Intel. Intel had a talent community when you applied to their position. So I joined the talent community, got an email one day saying, hey, we're having a career fair in Plano. I said, hmm, cool. I set up to say I was going to go to that. And the funny thing is I went to that career fair when my company was having an event at the office. I was dressed up and everything and I tipped on out because like, this is not where I'm trying to be any longer. It was a placeholder role and people, it's okay to have a placeholder role. I always tell people you could take a stepping stone role. It's going to help you get to your next goal. Went to the career fair, talked to one of the managers there. He liked my resume. I interviewed in December of 2016 and I didn't hear anything back. Sent the follow-up in, I want to say late January, early February to uh, Eric. I reached out to him, no caps, playing basketball, checked my phone. And my then manager said, when can you come up here? Went up there and all he asked me was like, when can I start? And the rest is history. I tell people starting your cybersecurity career can be hard work. Sometimes the right amount of luck is just your time. And I feel like that was my time. I learned a lot in that role. I did end up getting laid off in that role, which taught me a lot on how to navigate myself since then. But I learned so much dealing with that position. Now, you know, we got to go back. So let's start with the placeholder role, because a lot of times people act like they haven't had a placeholder role. Like, let's be real. Mm-hmm. The thing. So in your situation, you had this placeholder role before you got where you wanted to go. What did you use that time to do for your career? Glad you asked me that. So that role... I had a lot of downtime in that role. So I decided to get my master's degree because <laughs> okay. I used to wake up and have to go to the office in the morning time just to do nothing. But during that time, I met some people, I learned some things, but it it was very much so a stepping stone role because most of the time, probably about 85%, if not 90% of the time, I wasn't doing anything at work. It was more response work where if an alarm went off, you responded to it, trying to see if you know there was an outage or something. That job was dealing with a PCI. So if you saw a connection go down on the dashboard, then you have to get on the phone or call whoever you want to call for the point of contact and ask them what's going on. So that would be fun. You get a rush when that's happening. But overall, I learned stuff, met some good people. Meeting people is always a good part of a job. But then we got to talk about the negative side, which you mentioned layoffs. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate your layoff? What did you do with your downtime? So my layoffs, I got laid off February... Well, I knew I was getting laid up before that, but it didn't fix the key until February 2018. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start working again until June 1st, 2016. 
It was a lot going on in the layoff. I had a lot of interviews early on. Now, to say what I do know about some companies that are decent, they will give you a severance. They'll pay your bonus out. They'll right. provide you with career companies to help you find another job and do your resumes and all that kind of stuff, which is one of the inspirations of why I started what I started. That time was interesting. I, I learned a lot of things. I was younger then. If that was, what, five years ago, that would make me, what, 26, I think. Sometimes I felt like I was just getting interviews just to say they interviewed a Black person. Because I went to interviews, didn't see anybody that looked like me at the table. Yet what your response is, oh, we went with somebody with a little bit more experience. I was like, you kind of knew my experience before I got to even that part. Why not just say you went with somebody else? Because when people know my real name, when they see like, oh, Henri, hmm, my name is very much fluid. It could be whatever when you see it on paper. And I was getting that vibe. Like I've I've had companies during that time tell me, hey, he was the best applicant, but we're going to go with someone else. I'm like, what does that mean? Right. I had companies that told me like I pretty much had the job just to ghost me and I never got the job. But if people are going through that now, sometimes that's a bigger blessing than you realize you actually avoided some BS because fast forward, when I got the job after the layoff, a guy came from that same company. The guy told me, said, yeah, man, they hired a woman that didn't even know what she was doing. So it didn't matter. And it was kind of lowballing on the salary too. So how I navigated my free time was I would work out at least three, four times a week run. I had a set thing to where when I applied to jobs like early in the morning. So by the time nine or 10 came, I was reaching out to people either on the team, recruiters or managers, trying to get those interviews, stayed in good spirits, talk to people. And yeah, that, that's pretty much what I did. I think working out was like a big part of that. It did get down sometimes when the, the money got funny. I will also tell you, like I told people in a video, where I talked about this is if you got laid off and if you were like me, most of us in the black community, especially if you're like one of the first college graduates, nine times out of 10 didn't come from an ideal situation to where you have family you could depend on to actually give you money for bills and all these other stuff. So most of the time, like you might've been the person that was helping out the family because you had the better job and everyone else still struggling like me. So you didn't have anybody you really could count on and you had to make some tough choices. So back then it was like, do I pay the rent? Do I pay the car note? And I think I finally started getting unemployment like a month or two before I got hired. And what I know now is I technically could have got unemployment while I still got my severance. And I also could have got a little rinky dink job and did that as well. If I would do it over, I would have started doing Uber and just had a little money and still had my severance and did that. And then just made my schedule and go do interviews. But if you like that, don't get down. It'll get better. Do what you have to do to survive. You just got to take something to pay your bills. Do it. You can always, once you find the job you want, you can quit it. So I definitely went through a lot of that and I got through it and it showed me how to move. And that's why I move like Jacker now. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to touch on as a, like you said, as a black person, especially if you're in tech, you're the one making the money. And I think we are one of the few cultures where when we are in that situation, we have to take care of our people because that's just what we do. And then when you lose a job, you know, you don't have that same income. And it's hard because the people that are depending on you also most likely I personally haven't seen, but like your parents aren't in tech, like they don't know what it is. They just know you are making all this money. And I want to ask for you to even get into tech, what did it take you to get there? Did you even know tech was an option like when you were a kid or even in high school? Great question. So I watched a lot of TV because I had no siblings anybody was playing with. And I knew I always wanted to work a job that was from home, maybe had, you know, a little dress shirt, you know, kiss the wife, go out, get your little briefcase, something like that, something that looked like money. So initially I went to college and I majored in architecture. 
Okay. Why? I don't know. In high school, I took welding and wood shop. So I was like, oh yeah. Like how David say, this is going to be a breeze. <laughs> Went to Hale Hall where the, the architecture majors and the interior design people are. And I was like, nah, this ain't it. This is not it. I said, what else do I like to do? What else am I naturally gifted and good at? Oh, hmm, I played video games. I always was on a computer helping people fix things. Let me go major in CIS. And I chose CIS over computer science because CIS gave me the ability to still enjoy college and not deal with, just got to say it, dealing with professors I didn't understand because that's a big one. They teaching, but you're not really understanding what they're saying. I chose CIS as well because it's going to give me the benefit of learning those soft skills I need to use to navigate in corporate America. However, I really feel like they should redo all curriculums. Like last year, a year and a half ago, I researched the curriculum at Tech and it was like the same as I took in 2010 to 2013. I was like, this is outrageous. One of the class should be email etiquette. People need an email class. People don't know how to type. People don't know how to send emails. I don't know, nothing. Like that's, I learned that from working in the help desk. Really? Yeah. I learned how to like actually structure my emails, how to talk without tense that might seem like it might be a little bit too much. Using words like I was advised to per this. I learned that on a job, not at school. I, I took a business communications class, but we were just writing memos. That wasn't necessarily showing us how to structure things and respond back to people. And they had this little chart and it showed the salaries of what people make. I said, all right, this is it. Because <laughs> I, I, I come from a family that they didn't make that much money put together. So I was like, okay, perfect. I know I'm going to be good. I ain't probably not going to be like that in the beginning, but I know eventually I'm going to have the opportunity to make a lot of money, which is go 14 years. There we are. So started seeing people that were doing things. A shout out to my my first boss at in college, uh, Mr. Eddie. My brother actually works for him now. He was the IT director of the college of business. So he was responsible for the network, all the physical things they need, the smart podiums, fixing the stuff, the stuff in the computer lab. He was responsible for all that. He was a black man. And I, I want to say, actually, he was from Chicago. Yeah, he was from Chicago. Okay. And so once I saw that, I said, okay, yeah, I can do this. And that's why people don't understand how big representation is when it comes to this. In high school, no one like me is coming back saying, oh, you can get in cybersecurity or not even coming back. No one is seeing me on YouTube at the time talking about you can do cybersecurity. Now people see it and say, oh, I can do that. And I tell my times, I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. If I can do it, you can. I don't know when I saw the first black person in the IT workspace. I know it wasn't in college. You don't see it. You are, you always see someone else. I mean, our numbers are still underrepresented. Right. Most people just don't understand. The most time you see a lot of black people on a computer is if, if they're doing call center or help desk. You're right. You are absolutely right. And you know what else you were right about? You talked about making the big figures in tech. And I know you've seen it because I think we've talked about it before, too. It takes four to six years. You don't just come out in tech and get six figures. Like, let's be real. And I shouldn't say you don't. Most the people's paths work that way. But if you go on a TikTok or Instagram, it says, take this, you'll get six figures right away. So I just want to bust that myth one more time. <laughs> and yeah, also yeah, yeah. Talk from your perspective. How do you feel when you see videos like that, knowing that you obviously put in the hard work to get where you are today? Right. Yeah, definitely. I always tell people, do we focus on the majority or the minority? Now, there are rare occasions when you can come out of college making six figures. Most of the time, these people have did either one or multiple internships and have the skill set that allots them to get six figures. Shout out to my guy, uh, Tayon Tech. We actually used to work together. So I can vouch for, yeah, he was making a lot of money coming out of college, but that's also because he had did like three internships. 
mm. and his value on the market. Most people don't have that experience. A lot of us don't get internships. And one of my gripes about school is, hey, we're going to pay all this money. You guys get some relationships with these companies. What do you got to do? And get everybody an internship in these certain majors before we leave so we can have actual skills when we apply to jobs. That's one of my biggest gripes. I want schooling to be similar to how clinicals are for nurses or when you got to do residency if you're a doctor. Really tech trade type of roles. That's what we need to do. Now, when it comes to people telling them, oh, you're going to do this and make six figures, it's really uh, a marketing ploy. There are people that can because they have transferable skills from other careers. But more times than not, if you're talking about a technical role, and this is one of the things where people get up in arms about, technical roles are very hard to break into because they require you to actually be technical. Non-technical roles are non-technical for a reason. Your skill set is more highlighted in time management, team building, effective working, communication, all those different things, staying on task. Those soft skills, those will make you a lot of money if you pick the right roles. But you just have to structure your resume in a way and interview well enough to get the roles. That's a little different. But a cert alone probably won't help you do that. And also what we saw a surgeon is everybody's trying to apply to like five companies. And I've broken this down recently to tell people, hey, instead of focusing on company, focus on what industry you like and see if they have a job there that you like. I told someone in the comment on YouTube, I was interviewing for a role at Target last year, but unfortunately got put on hold. That role alone was going to pay 200K plus. And that's not a fang role. Focus on industry. Like I tell people, if you're in healthcare, you're a nurse and you're trying to get into a tech role, focus on healthcare companies. You've been doing a lot of stuff already. You've been working with Epic. Try to see how you could do something with Epic tech-wise. Those skills will eventually pay. A lot of times people just are very pressed. And I'm going to say something that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers. With the climate that we're in now, with your first job, don't just think you're going to work remote on your first job and you got no skin in the game. Matter of fact, if you want to get a job faster, try to apply to the on-site gigs. Early on in your career, it actually benefits you to go on-site if you're working with people that's going to actually be there so you can learn. You'll learn so much then having to reach out to people on Teams and everything else to see what they're doing. In my second soccer role, we were on site. I learned so much just from being there to be able to go tap somebody and say, hey, let's look at this. One other piece that I want to add on to going into the office is mm-hmm. being in the office, that FaceTime. That FaceTime is so key. People need to know your name because if they don't know your name, let's just say if anything went down, you probably wouldn't be safe from a layoff. If they were going to restructure and have some open roles, your name wouldn't be mentioned for those roles. FaceTime is so important. And I feel like that's an area that we are not the strongest in. That's one of the things that I talk about in my adventure cybersecurity career course on LinkedIn. It's about that visibility on how to get promoted in adventure career, becoming more visible. Now, you can do this if you work remotely, but what you have to do is get strategic about it, lead more of the calls. On y'all quarterly calls, annual calls, try to present something, present a new technique or process or report, something like that to where you knock it out of the park so they know who you are when it comes to promotion and bonus time. They know you. Reach out to those teams that you involve with a lot and their managers, managers, and talk with them for 15 minutes. They love to talk. (laughs) That's all they do. They talk. They're not technical no more. Like There are ways to do it, but you have to be strategic about it. And I think our issue in our community is it's not a lot of us in corporate. And so, so much stuff you learn as a first gen corporate person that unfortunately you have a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. But once you figure it out, like you're good. That's why I have no problem moving away. I'm moving. Once I realize, hey, I'm a requisition number, I moved accordingly. That's true. That's very true. 
And I want you to elaborate about how you view how you move, because I do think it's unique. I shouldn't say unique. I think that it is a different mindset that people are starting to do now. But you know how back in the day, people used to stay at jobs for like 20 years and, you know, those don't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, for example, we have our, I guess our parents are what? Gen X or, or, or whatever before that. My mom's born in 68. My dad's born in 64. I don't know whatever they are considered to be. When I talked to my mom years ago about, oh, yeah, I'm going to interview talk to this company or whatever. She's like, nah, you need to show some loyalty and blah, blah, blah. And we'll do what I say, mama. These companies don't care about that. And I don't leave money on the table. If it's a good enough offer, I'm gone. And I say that because whether we pay attention to financial stuff or not, we live in a time where they're taking money out of our check for Social Security to possibly not even be there by the time we need it. Right. So we're steady trying to work for a company to where they don't pay your loans off. They're not giving you excess amount of money when it comes to bonuses or stocks. So you have to look out in your best interest. They don't have any pensions anymore, right? So what benefit do you have to just stay somewhere for years if you don't have like a active, hey, if I stay here 20 years for effects, I know I'm going to get one check for $8,000 every month when I retire. If that's the case, a lot of people are not going to leave, but that's not the case. You got to keep on making a lot of money so you can save more and, and retire more. And get back more of your time. That's the biggest issue. And it's also, you don't want to just jump ship to companies that you're unsure about their finances. And so you may make a bad move. For me, I research where I go for ahead of time, especially after being laid off before. It's different ways you got to learn to play the game because they plan it. If you look at the Q4 profit statement, they made their money. But yet when it comes to you, you don't want to get a raise, your your apartment, your property taxes, everything going up, but they want you to be a loyal servant and make the same amount of money, but yet have less money to actually buy stuff and take care of your family. And that's what it is for me. I'm a father now. I have two girls and our family were all here, the girls and their mom. So I was like, it's me. I'm looking out for them. I'm looking out for me. I got to take care of them. So that's what you got to think about. Think about yourself first. Shout out to my guy, Jermaine Jupiter. We play for this name on the front, even though this is not a a jersey, but we play for the name on the front and we're loyal to the name on the back of the jersey. That's right. That's what we do. That's right. As long as I'm happy, I'm going to be the best worker you got. You ain't going to find nobody better than me. That's also the notion that we have to dispel. I've worked in a lot of big companies. And I'm going to tell you all right now, when we've been in the upper levels of corporate, it ain't been us that's been sorry. It's been everybody else. But they don't report on that. And that's a hot take. But it ain't been us. I'm telling you, I didn't work with... The others, and they have not been good. I mean, everything you're saying is accurate. <laughs> I think everyone who's listening to the podcast is probably going to be nodding their head, like, you know what? It's making sense. Like, when we talk about corporate space, right? Nobody right. ever is coming out speaking up for us. Like, we'll see these lowering numbers, and then let's not get started. And this is not my forte diversity, equity, inclusion. And then you look at the, the top level, ain't no diversity there. So, what y'all talking about? Mm-hmm. Why it's not more of us? Why it's not more of them? How diverse are we? True, true, true. We could have a whole podcast on just that by itself, (laughs) that topic by itself. But I do appreciate you touching on that. Definitely. I always tell people, I try to, I just got to be unfiltered all the time so they can understand corporate is not going to play with you. So I'm not here to lie to you. I'm here to tell you what I experienced over 10 years and what I know. And if I don't know, I get somebody that do know it. You know what? That's really a word because sometimes I feel like in the past, things have been sugarcoated, right? It's like, well, maybe don't do that. No, y'all need to hear, stop doing that at work because you making yourself look like a fool. They are not considering you valuable if you do some of the stuff that you do in at work. 
one of the key things too to to also let them know that you still got to keep interviewing. Don't stop interviewing. That's another reason why some people get laid off and have a hard time. They ain't interviewed in five, 10 years. And mm-hmm. it's a skill set in itself. Like it's, you know, it's it's hard to do. And I tell people to do that. Like, and that's how you know what your value is on the market. Some people getting, some of the companies getting over on you, paying you lower and going to have another try to lay you off and going to have another possibly not try to give you a good severance. And then where are you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel that. And Henri, I have to cover the other side of everything that you do. So we talked about cybersecurity, your career, but you're also on the content creation side. And I want to make sure that the listeners get to hear about that piece a little bit. So why don't we start with how you start getting into the content creating space and what exactly is it that you're creating when it comes to content? Sure thing. So I got into content creation. A lot of people don't know before I had textual chatter, I actually had a boxing channel. Cause I love boxing. And so I was covering boxing all the time, making different boxing videos, but I realized I was putting a lot of effort into that. And there wasn't much value in that to even the listeners. 2020 comes around, COVID comes. My first little girl is about to be born. And I was just thinking I need to do two things. One, figure out what I'm going to do, like, you know, to do more things, to support my family and to start even branding myself some more. I've been doing this for a while. I've been helping people for a while. So what do I want to do with that? So from that spur, two things. It spurred at first the channel was called Techno Chatter, but I changed it to Textual Chatter to be uniform across all platforms. And then Textual Consulting was born out of that. Textual Consulting is my company that I designed to help people break into cybersecurity. Specifically, us, most of my clientele has been black people. And that's because we identify with each other a lot, what they went through at certain jobs and lower level roles. And that's why I wanted to help them do that. And all the things that I didn't help with early on in my career, I want them to be better than me instead of having to bump your head for about three years before you can finally get a cybersecurity role. When it came to the content, I just started making content. I introduced myself. So I started off with like, how did I get in cybersecurity? Why did I choose my major? What's good about working at the help desk? You know, my salary progression. So, because at that time I had already been in the game for like six, seven years at that time. So I want to really give my raw, honest take on things. And the fact that I didn't see a lot of us on YouTube, I think at the time, the only person I really saw was maybe Dewan Lightfoot that was on YouTube, killing the gang and just talking about cybersecurity. So anything I could think of, anything I experienced through LinkedIn messages that I didn't like to see from certain recruiters or hiring processes I didn't like, or then, you know, hey, don't keep on saying that like, I'm not really the biggest fan of follow-ups, but follow-ups have helped me recently. So it could have been, I just was a good interviewer on top of, they like the follow-up, but most of the time I don't really believe in follow-ups because prior to that, most of the times I sent follow-ups, I didn't get the job. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I don't believe in it. It's kind of like dating. I, I always brought that approach to like dating and, and job searching and just trying to help people. So I've did like your on like LinkedIn, your resume, some interview questions, anything you can kind of think of that we didn't cover here. I did content on it because it's just stuff that some people need to know. A lot of that stuff was gatekept from us. You couldn't find this information 10 years ago. And that was the whole reason why I started. And just also trying to make it entertaining. Also, just bringing my personality in it, bringing people on. And that second part of much probably why you started Black Tech Unplugged, why I started the textual talk is I wanted to highlight us in tech, especially my Black women, because if our percentage is like 8% or whatever in IT or cybersecurity, they're even lower. And I want to find all type of different roles. I want to bring on non-technical women, 
technical women and show little girls. I have two black little girls. So whenever they can go back and watch daddy stuff, they can say, oh, I see me up there. I could do that. And also, you know, of course, it got the black men on there so they can see it. And so it's been cool so far. I've had people like when I went to Afrotech, I was telling people about my first Afrotech experience. I've met a lot of people that subscribed to me. My Uber driver was subscribed to me <laughs> and he was a black guy. So it was pretty cool. My guy Eric is telling me I'm an influencer now. And I still don't, I don't know. I still don't feel like I'm an influencer per se. I do notice that my following has gotten bigger. But to me, I just like, hey, I still feel like I'm just a regular guy. Maybe when I get to maybe like 100,000 or something, I might feel a little different. Right now, I'm at like 11,000. I don't feel too different. I still, like I'm still very much very accessible to the people. Okay, let's first off say 11,000 is not some chump change number. So. <laughs> First off, congratulations on that. But you know, you're going to have to elaborate on your Uber story. So how did you find out your Uber driver follows you? Yeah. So he used to work for Meta because uh, Afrotech was in Austin and we were just talking and he was like, yeah, I'm thinking about getting cybersecurity. So I was talking, I was like, yeah, you know, I have a channel where I talk about that and how I help people get into cybersecurity or whatever. Then I guess he maybe didn't really even realize it was me at first. Then I told him my channel, he said, oh, yo, I'm subscribed to you. I was like, word. And so that's kind of like how it happened or having people come up to me and say, um, are you, uh, you textual chatter? Like coming to me, like looking at me kind of like, so I'm trying to make sure they like not being weird. And then I say, yeah, you know, it's me. It was kind of like surreal. It was like, whether I have thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand, one million, the fact that people tune in and, and recognize me and come up and give me a hug or say, thanks for your content, man. I, I appreciate it. And those things, those are things that's always helped me stay going. Like the many comments I get like, Hey man, I just landed a job. Your videos helped a lot. I get those messages a lot. So, and then that's also the thing I realized with doing this thing. I'm really not a good salesman. I tell people sometimes, Hey, if you don't want to book with me right now, just go check out my free webinar or whatever. Or I try to help them out. Like I didn't start it. So I could just make obscene profits. Like, if that's the case, I could do that because I know for a fact, and people can fact check this too. If they check my prices and check other career coaches, like he is on the lower side. So I still do it. One, because I also have a job. So it's not like it's my source of income. If my source of income probably be different. I still have it structured in a way that it's set up to really try to help you. And most people, I can't say all the time in three months, they land something. However, they're better off than when they first came to me. And they eventually say, yo, I finally landed something, man, or whatever. So. And you also aren't doing a good job selling right now because you didn't say <laughs> what services you offer and the prices. So I always just tell people to go to the website because I have three tiers okay. I have for entry level, mid and senior. And I only get reason why it's like this, because I know people that may be entry level may not have as much money as the mid and seniors. They're only separated by like a hundred bucks. But right now I just offer interview prep, career coaching advice, job search tips, resumes, anything I've described right now on this call. Things that's helped me get interviews at all different types of companies that keeps my LinkedIn inbox booming that keeps recruiters hitting me up at 10 and 11 at night. All those things that I still do on my page now and like how to bring yourself, I, I teach that. Like, boy, it's a little bit more in depth and I can cater it to you. And like a lot of times my skill set is just helping my clients actually believe in themselves. And like, I'll take a look at their skill set. I said, man, you got a lot of skills. You're just not highlighting them right. I always compare my process to being a boxing trainer and telling somebody like, you got a good jab, man. You not you got to use that jab. And so when that trainer not only reinstates that confidence in that fight and tell them really use that jab, they normally become successful. So it's that part of it. And I'm, I give it to you straight and I'm going to ask you like, hey, why did you do that? Like, I had a client do some stuff to their resume that I didn't do. And they ended up getting rejected for a role they applied to. And I looked at the resume. I was like, why did you put this on there? And But that's because they started getting information from else places instead of just me, yeah. which I'm not... The, 
which I'm not the person that's a, you can't, I just can't say I'm correcting everything. However, if you're going to do that, ask me first so I can help you out. Cause I threw him a layup to possibly even just get an interview right. with the company that I had pretty much had to offer with, but it is what it is. Those who actually listen to me and execute, those have been the ones that have been very successful with working with me. Those who are lackadaisical and not really doing all they can to succeed, they tend to take a while, you know, so, but that's not on me. I can only tell you what to do. I, I can lead you to water, but I can't make you drink. Exactly. And sometimes people are going to people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you say, you can lead them to the water. If you're going to drink, you do. If you don't, okay. Where can people find your YouTube and LinkedIn courses? And then also if they want to connect with you from a career coaching perspective. Sure thing. So on all socials, including YouTube, you can find me at Textual Chatter. That is T-E-C-H-T-U-A-L, Chatter, one word. And all the links to my services will be in the bio, as well as if you want to check out the podcast as well as the Textual Talk, you'll find it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google, you name it. and also. Just as of yesterday, I've started adding the video portion of my podcast to Spotify as well. So now if you use Spotify, you can watch the video portion of the podcast on Spotify as well. Like I said, I offer consultations, resumes, job search help, branding tips, you name it. If you can think about it, I do it besides applying to the job for you. I don't do that just yet, but you know, eventually maybe I'll help you do that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And I want to ask you asked about the LinkedIn learning course. The LinkedIn learning learning course is also in the links in my bio. And you can also find it on LinkedIn learning. If you type in advance your cybersecurity career, you will see it. And that's like my first LinkedIn learning course. Planning to do another one that'll be a little bit more niche down about like hopefully it'll be around being a SOC analyst. So stay on the lookout for that. Awesome. And this will all be in the show notes. So you don't have to look that far for it. I will put everything in there so people will have that connection. So thank you for that. Being cognizant of your time too. We'll probably have a part two. So nobody worries where we have extended time to talk about things. But to end today's conversation, Henri, I usually open the floor for people to talk about anything that we didn't cover in the podcast. So is there anything that you want the listeners to know about your journey, tips, advice, anything? Yeah, but before getting long-winded, I'll tell them to go to my cybersecurity career journey playlist on my YouTube channel, and you'll get more transparent and depth experience with me. What I'll leave you guys with is like, you're not too good to work help desk. I have a video that says help desk help me quadruple my salary, and that's true. Put in the work, learn the skills, and you'll be fine. Pay attention to trends. If you see a certain technology trending in this direction, get on it first. So you become a subject matter expert so you can run the price up on them because they're going to pay. They're paying a lot of money for people that know how to use like AI right now. So that's what I say. Run it up. Take all the money. Listen, I appreciate you coming on, spilling all of the good information. Like I said, there'll probably be a part two because there's so much more that we could cover. Again, thank you so much because my listeners have a whole new insight into cybersecurity as well as just like the mindset that you need to be in tech. Like you kept it really real, which I appreciate. Oh, anytime, anytime. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.